All right. Hey, welcome to Rockbridge. Want to welcome you in uh, multiple languages and multiple locations. We're one church, multiple languages, multiple locations. So glad that you have joined us in one of our six physical locations, or maybe you are joining us online. Thank you. You're not here by accident. You're here for a reason. Hey, my name is Matt, and we are concluding today part 24 of our series called Ripple Effect, which has taken us through every chapter and every verse of Paul's letter to the first Corinthians or to the church. And this is the first letter that he wrote, I should say. So this is the final chapter. And hey, I just want to say I hope and pray that for those of you that have been tracking or whether you joined in halfway, midway, or at the very beginning, I hope this series has been a blessing to you. I hope it has edified our church in a profound way as we have submitted ourselves afresh to the authority and the sufficiency of God's Word. If, if you're not a believer or not yet a Christian or not a rock bridger and you're just checking things out, checking us out, so glad you're here. But one thing you should just know about us up front is that we are passionate about the Word of God. We believe it is what it says it is and how Jesus treated it, which is it's the authoritative, sufficient uh, Word of God without error and truth for us to live the life God wants us to live. And, uh, and so we're, we've been just excited afresh to go through this verse by verse. So chapter 16 is kind of a loose ends chapter. It's the wrap-up chapter. It's not typical of what you've seen in the first 15 chapters. Paul's going to talk about taking an offering up for the impoverished church at Jerusalem. He's going to share his travel plans. He's going to talk about two of his uh, co-workers, Timothy and Apollos, and then he's going to give some final encouragements and then just wrap it up. So it's kind of loose ends and it can kind of feel disjointed, but really, the, the, the value of 1 Corinthians 16, as I see it holistically, and it's got tremendous practical value for you and I today, is 1 Corinthians 16 gives us really a snapshot of how Paul lived his day-to-day -day life. And, and not so much what he did at 8 in the morning, but how he viewed 8 in the morning. It's not so much how he spent his time, but how he viewed time that he was to spend and, and what he was to spend that time doing or trying to bring about. And, and so I don't know if you've ever seen these shows or Googled this, but a lot of times celebrities or well-accomplished people, they'll do these day in the life of, or they'll tell you, hey, here's what time this guy wakes up in the morning and what he does and how he invests his time. I mean, I've seen them on uh, elite athletes. I've seen them on celebrities, fitness people, all this kind of stuff. And so we're curious about how people spend their time. And as Christ followers, we should always be curious about Paul because he's, he's one of the apostles. He wrote 13 of 27 books in the New Testament. He helped the church planting movement that eventually got Christianity to you and I here, here in the West or here in North America. And, and so how Paul spends his time is incredibly valuable. Now, here's what we have to be cautious about. We're not living Paul's life. We're not all tent makers. We're not all single. Okay, we have different manifestations of what faithfulness looks like. But the temptation for us, though, is we tend to judge people, including ourselves and other people, 
by outcomes, like, hey, Paul wrote half the New Testament. Hey, you know, this guy's made a bunch of money and is really successful, like People Magazine's successful, like American Dream's successful. But in Scripture, and really uh, the value or the power is in the pattern of how they live their lives. It's not so much the results of their life, it's the, it's the pattern of their lives. Because God is going to ultimately judge us and look at us through the lens of were we faithful in the moments we had, the times in which we lived, the people we interacted with, our time, our place. You know, it's like the this, this saying from the book of Esther, for such a time as this, what we did for such a time as this, were we faithful? Were we obedient? And so it's the pattern of, of Paul's life that we want to look at. Now, ironically, I, I just kind of did this somewhat randomly of some people I know that we would say are successful in, in, in our world's viewpoint, okay? But what's interesting, when they talk about their life or, their, or, or, or a day in their life, they don't talk about the outcomes. They talk about the pattern. So, for, for example, uh, here, here's Steph Curry, and, and you can Google his practice routine. He's going to go down as probably the greatest shooter in the history of the NBA. He is a Christ follower. And here's what his trainer said about him. He's in love with getting better. It's not the championships and the accolades. He just loves to get better. That's the pattern that shows up in the day-to-day of, of Steph Curry. There, Ray Allen's an NBA Hall of Famer. Here's what he said. Championships are secondary. What? Championships are secondary to the feeling you get from waking up every morning and putting in the work. So the pattern of his life is he wakes up every morning and does the work that hopefully produces the outcome of championships. And, and then the greatest college football coach uh, of all time, Nick Saban, listen to this quote from him. He says, don't think about, and this is what he tells his team, don't think about winning the SEC championship or national championships. Think about what you need to do in this drill, on this play, in this moment. That's the process. Let's think about what we can do it today, the task at hand. So there's tremendous value at looking at how people spend their time, the process, the pattern. What did they do on Monday? Because what we see, what we see is what happens on Saturday or on the bowl game or on the the NBA championship level. That's what we see, right? But what what happens on Tuesday? What happens on ordinary Wednesday? So for you and I as Christ followers, you know, we, we can judge ourselves by, hey, what did we go to church on Sunday or on Thursday night at Rockbridge PM? But what, what, what do we do on Monday? How did we approach ordinary Thursday? And so that's the value of asking this question and taking 1 Corinthians 16 and saying, okay, what was the pattern? The powers in the pattern. What was the pattern of Paul's life? And how can those principles show up in our lives? So that we pattern a life of faithfulness. Interestingly, earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul said this to the church there. He said, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Follow my pattern. He doesn't mean go be a tent maker. He doesn't mean go plant churches unless that's what God calls you to do or opens the doors for you to do. He means imitate me in, in, in the process of how he went about viewing his life and spending his time. He says it again. 
Imitate me as I also imitate Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. So we've got something biblical here of Paul saying, follow my example, follow my pattern. And then chapter 16 gives us a snapshot of kind of like a day in the life of the Apostle Paul. Let's get to work, chapter 16, verse 1. Now about, this is random, but it's going to fit the pattern. Now about the collection for the saints. So he's talking about a special offering for the church at Jerusalem, which is undergoing uh, suffering through poverty, some kind of maybe a famine, but the church at Jerusalem has become impoverished. So here's what he says. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. So Paul has kind of spoken or is speaking to the churches that he has authority over and asking them to do something with their money to help their brothers and sisters uh, an ocean away, so to speak, or a, a ways away, and that's the Jerusalem church. Here's what he says. Here's what I want you to do. On the first day of the week, which is the day of worship, Sunday, for most of us, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. So take a percentage or a portion of your income that you have, set it aside, and we're going to use that for this collection for the church at Jerusalem so that no collections will need to be made when I come. So you're ready. This offering is ready. It's set aside. So like how we do our budget at Rockbridge, we give weekly or proportionally or when we get paid, and that money goes into our budget. It's available to, to fund our ministries and to seek the kingdom and advance the kingdom. So he says, when I arrive then, I will send letters with those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. I, I, I'll kind of give authentication to this gift. They know me at Jerusalem, and I'll send a letter along with the collection that you make. All right, so Paul is basically saying there's a pattern to our time. And, I, and I, he's talking about money, but I want us to see when I arrive, when I come, on the first day of the week. So he's setting up that, hey, there's a way we need to go about our time that is in, intentional, that has m an understanding of what the kingdom is about and an understanding of how the kingdom advances. So, so think of it this way. I, I think we can kind of approach time in two broad strokes, and we'll kind of break this down as we go forward. But the pattern of how we spend our time. So Steph Curry says he, he's just in love with getting better. So you would expect to see somewhere in Steph Curry's calendar, on his, somewhere in his day, he's trying to become a better NBA basketball player. Nick Saban would talk about the process. Ray Allen talked about hard work. So you would expect to see that show up in the pattern of how they consistently use their time. So I think we can view time kind of through two broad lenses. We've got tasks and obligations and pleasures and conveniences. I've got things I've got to do, maybe go to work, maybe pay the bills, maybe go to the grocery store. I've got pleasures and conveniences. I've got things I like to do, watch the game, go to the movie, watch some Netflix, hang out on social media a little bit. And then here's the challenge with this. If this is kind of the pattern, then things that kind of get us off task, things that kind of prevent us from doing our obligations or get in the way or interfere with pleasures and conveniences, those get viewed as interruptions. What we're going to see as we look at further in the, a day in the life of Paul is Paul sees things as moments in time that make up the movement, the movement of the kingdom 
If you were here last week, we talked about everything moving toward that day when Jesus comes back. So Paul would say, no, no, there's moments that need to be invested and stewarded to support, to accelerate, to be part of the movement of the kingdom. And so Paul's life and the pattern of his day, the pattern of his life is seizing opportunities. Now, I, I, I can just tell you for me, if I'm not careful, I am just all about this one right here. And anything that kind of gets in the way of task, obligation, pleasure, and convenience is an interruption, a bother, and a frustration to me. That's not what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In fact, Paul has taught this principle that we're going to see flesh itself out in, in chapter 16. He's taught it also or teaches it also in Ephesians 5. Listen to what he says. Pay careful attention then to how you walk how you live your life. Pay careful attention to the pattern in which you're living, the habits, the values, how you view things. And he says, don't do it as unwise people, but as wise people. And we're wise people because we know where history is moving toward. We know it's moving toward the second coming. It says, make the most of the time. Other translations would be, buy back the time. Other translations would be, Make the most of the opportunities. This depends how you look at it, but it's the same meaning because the days are evil. The days are evil. So the church at Jerusalem is experiencing an aspect of the fallenness and the brokenness of the world. They're in a poverty situation. So the way to make the most of the time is on the first day of the week, Corinth, you take up a collection so you can be ready to seize the opportunity to help the church at Jerusalem as we're moving toward the second coming of Jesus. Some of you have heard this before, the difference between Kronos time and Kairos time. Kronos time is clock time, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, what are you doing? Hey, it's about to be Friday night. What are you going to do? How are you going to have fun? Kairos time is the opportune, the, the season, the, what God's doing in this time. The, it, it, Kairos time is concerned about the movement of the kingdom of God. So look at what Paul has said. He goes, use your chronos time on the first day of the week when you come together to worship. So for the vast majority of Americans, right, that's Sunday morning. Not everybody. Some are Saturday night at Rockbridge. We've got Thursday night. We've got some of our campuses are early service. Some of them have an 11 o'clock. Some of you watch online. So it's a little bit contextualized. I get it. But basically, use your chronos time for kingdom kairos opportunities. So on the first day of the week, I want you to set aside some money to represent Jesus to the people, brothers and sisters, in the Jerusalem church. And this begins to unfold the pattern that was the power of Paul's life, how he stewarded, invested his time for the kairos of God, for these opportunities to move in advance and seek the kingdom of Jesus. He continues. He says, okay, if, key word, if, it is suitable for me to go with you as well. They, the representatives from Corinth, will travel with me to take the money, take this collection to the church at Jerusalem. So Paul is saying, hey, it may be appropriate, and I may get to go with you if, that's the key word. But he goes, I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia. This is Paul's travel plans. And perhaps, I don't know for sure, I will remain with you or even spend the winter 
winter because, hey, winter's tough to travel in the first century. Hard to sail, hard to move, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you if, there's that word again, the Lord allows. So what's amazing about this passage is it shows us something inside, inside Paul's mind. It shows us that Paul had plans and Paul had hopes and hoped he would be here by this time and there by this time. But he held those things sort of loosely if, if, if the Lord allows, perhaps. So, so it's important as we think about our lives and think about the pattern of time to understand this. Paul made plans and dreams, but his plans and dreams were around seeking the kingdom. Now, now think about that. We make plans and dreams, don't we? We have plans, we have dreams, but oftentimes our plans and dreams are for our own pleasure and our own comfort. I mean, we're intentional already. Some of us thinking about spring break or thinking about summer vacation, and we've got plans, and we've got dreams, and we've got hopes, right? When's the last time you and I planned out our hopes and dreams for seeking the kingdom of Jesus? When's the last time we took this thing we all have the same amount of, T-I-M-E, and got real creative or thoughtful or intentional? About, you know, I hope to share the gospel here. I hope God will let me go over here. I hope I can take a mission trip one day. I hope I can go to work and share Christ with someone. When's the last time we've had that level of intentionality with the pattern of our T-I-M-E? So we need to be challenged a little bit by how Paul, who said, imitate me, thought about his days. Now, here, here's the key thing, though. Paul's open and available. He recognizes plans aren't guarantees. He recognizes just because you dream it doesn't mean God's, gonna, God's obligated to fulfill it. So he holds it under the sovereignty of God. He says, if, he says, perhaps, and he's like, hey, if the Lord allows. Here's sort of what I'm thinking and what I'm thinking is in line with what I know about the kingdom of Jesus. It's our first core value at Rockbridge, right? We are kingdom seekers. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of Jesus. And all this other stuff that you and I tend to focus on and worry about, God says he'll take care of. So he's like, hey, this is kind of where I'm thinking and how I want to spend my time and maximize it for the glory of God and for the kingdom of Jesus. However, God's in charge. And I, I don't fully know the future. So perhaps if, certainly if, the Lord allows. But what emerges is this big idea about how we need to see ourselves in time. Kronos and Kairos. That God really wants his people, beautiful to be the will of God wherever you are, wherever we are, and with whomever we are with. The more and more I get underneath this in my own life, you know, I'm a planner. I, I was the kid in high school or in middle school even that was always like, hey, God, what's your will for my life? What's your will for my life? God, what's your will for my life? And in my understanding at that point, God's will for my, for my life was, where do I go to school? And what am I going to do for a career? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? That was God's will for my life. 
It had to do with places and people. It had to do with crossroads moments and do I go left, do I go right, do I go straight ahead? And it was sort of like that. Do I, do I say yes to this or not? God, am I supposed to be this to, you know, as for my career or not? God, do I go to this college or not? Do I join the Navy or not? That was how I thought of God's will. More and more, so much of that, there's so many variables that can interfere with where you go and when you go, with whom you go. And more and more, I'm convinced God wants us to be a type of person in a spot in a place, in a Kairos, Kronos time continuum. That you and I are to be the will of God in our jobs, in our families. Wherever our jobs may take us or may, uh, may manifest, wherever we are with our people, with our friends, with our family, we're to be the will of God wherever we are with whomever we're with. And the beautiful thing is God's sovereignty God's sovereignty, which includes his providence, God's sovereignty is over our wherever and our whomever, but our availability is to be the will of God wherever God sovereignly places us and with whomever God sovereignly positions us around. And that is a game changer for how you view your job, your neighborhood, your family. That is a game changer for how you see yourself. Because some of us are so stressed out. Gosh, I hate my job. I hate my job. What if God wants you in that job so you can be the will of God in that job? Be the will of God. Because some of us are thinking, oh, the will of God is five months from now. I've got to make a decision. God, what's your will? God, what's your will? God, what's your will? And we miss the moments and the opportunities right around us to be the will of God wherever we are with whomever we're with. So if we could adapt that pattern, that's power for living a life of faithfulness and seeking the kingdom. We could also say it this way, because I, I recognize a lot of you like me, we're planners. Our plans are always provisional, if the Lord allows. That should be tagged on to all the plans we make and all the dreams we have, because we can't get in the mind of God. And God wants us to lean not on our own understanding and trust him in everything we do. And that means every minute every, of every moment. So plans are provisional, but there's value in planning, especially if we're planning and thinking and being intentional about seeking the kingdom. And so sometimes our plans may be providential. And providential means that's how God is going to use the choices, the intentional choices of his kingdom-seeking people. So Paul's like, hey, I'm going to plan on being with you. I'm going to plan on making it through Macedonia and coming and hanging out with you. And if God allows that, man, that'll be God's providence. And I'm going to be the will of God with you. But if the Lord doesn't allow it and the Lord sovereignly takes me to another place, another wherever, to be around another people, another whomever, I'm going to be the will of God then and there to those people as well. A lot of clarity in living like that. A lot of clarity. He continues to talk about his travel plans, and, and, and look at how this thought emerges. He says, but I'm going to stay in Ephesus, and we have a book of the Bible called Ephesians, where Paul wrote another letter, but I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me. God has opened a door. God has made something possible. There's fruit for the kingdom occurring in Ephesus, and I want to stay there and keep cooperating with what God is doing in this Kronos, 
Kairos moment. Yet, he says, many may oppose me, and I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this phrase, yet many oppose me, because a lot of us believe that if God has opened a door, we should just fly right through it with smooth sailing, and there should be no such thing as opposition. And what Paul is teaching us and Paul is telling us is here is opportunity for the kingdom and opposition to that opportunity can coexist, and we are to stay and fight, stay and be faithful, stay and be the will of God with whomever we're with, wherever God has placed us, no matter who's opposing us, because God is faithful. Right? So many Christians stop. Oh, if God were in it, it wouldn't be this hard. Maybe God's in it always. And maybe God doesn't want us to quit just because it's hard, but just to lean more on Him, and He's going to enable us to be faithful in those moments. So opportunity and opposition can and often do coexist. Can and often do coexist. So when you look at your life, don't look for easy. Look for opportunity. And if there's opposition alongside that opportunity, that's okay. Be the will of God wherever you are with whomever you're with. Now he's going to start talking about two of his buddies, his partners, Timothy and Apollos. And we'll get some more insight into this pattern of time from them and from what Paul says about them. If Timothy comes, see, we got if, so Paul's planning to send Timothy, but there's an if because, again, plans are provisional. But if he comes, see that he has nothing to fear with you. Welcome him because he's doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. In other words, Corinth, if Timothy shows up, you be the will of God to him. Love him, support him. Listen to him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can then come to me because I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come right now. He wasn't ready. So maybe We don't know why, but however, he will come when he has an opportunity. And this phrase opportunity, this word, is the same root word in the Greek as Ephesians 5 about make the most of the time or make the most of the opportunity. This is kairos. This is strategic kingdom movement time. So what's he saying? Timothy, he's telling the church at Corinth, just be the will of God to him if he makes it to you. What's he saying about Apollos? Hey, there's a variety of ways that we all can spend time for the kingdom. And there may be differences of opinion. Paul wanted Apollos to go to Corinth immediately. Apollos, for whatever reason, said, not going to go, can't go. Doesn't feel like the right time, Kronos or Kairos, in that beautiful synergy of those two things. So, but, but all of us agree we're going to be alert and available for the opportunities God puts in front of us. So the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is this. We, we don't all have to spend our, our chronos time the way Paul did or the way Matt Evans does, or the way you do or the way you do. But if we all are alert and available and surrendered and submitted to being kingdom seekers, then we're going to all end up at faithfulness. And God needs some people investing their time in, in, in combating poverty or standing up 
against bigotry or God needs some people investing in, in kids and God needs some people you know, strategizing schemes to take the gospel to unreached people groups. God needs people spending their time in the business community, in the business world, but they're doing, they're spending their chronos time that way for kairos opportunities. And that's the beautiful way the kingdom of God can grow and advance because all of us are just going to be the will of God wherever we are with whomever we're with. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Then he starts to move toward home plate and land in the plane. He's going to give seven commands in rapid-fire succession, and we'll again see another pattern emerge. He says, hey, be alert. The days are evil, but be alert also for those opportunities. Stand firm in the faith, in the face of opposition. Stand firm. It's worth it. We know who wins in the end. Be courageous. Be strong. Don't be risk-adverse. Don't let fear trump faith. Let faith overtake fear. Do everything in love. Love's the bottom line. Get love right. That points us back to 1 Corinthians 13 and the use of spiritual gifts. Do it all in love. Brothers and sisters, he starts talking about some people. You know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people. Submit to people like Stephanus and to everyone who works and labors with them. They're kingdom seekers. They're, they're, they're pursuing. They're being the will of God. Okay? Submit to them. Honor them. Respect them. I'm delighted to have Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, Achaicus present because these men have made up for, for your absence. I needed some people to support me, come alongside of me. The best leader is a we, not a me. You know, nobody does this alone. The value of community at Rockbridge, we would say the value of church membership, the value of the all-in process, the value of being in a circle with some people, whether that's a D group or a small group, or, or maybe a ministry team or a band of brothers or a band of sisters can look a different, lot of different ways, but it's the same principle. We need people with us. Paul says, hey, they have refreshed my spirit and yours. The beauty of being spiritually known and spiritually encouraged. Our hope for all of us that Rock, they call Rockbridge our home. That's why we revamped our membership process and we talk about all in because we want people at Rockbridge not just to be attenders. We want us, our, all of us to be spiritually known and spiritually encouraged on our journey to what? Be the will of God wherever we are and with whomever we're with. It says, therefore recognize such people. The churches of Asia send you their greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And that's it. That's 1 Corinthians 16. That's kind of a day in the life of the Apostle Paul. So let me conclude with these thoughts, and then we're going to talk about some opportunities we have. First is this. we got to resist the temptation to coast, drift, or get passive. And for some of you, that means you got to fight cynicism. For some of you, it means you got to get over your bitterness and give forgiveness so you can get on with being the will of God wherever you are with whomever you're with. So don't coast, don't drift. Be alert, stand firm, be strong, be courageous, give people the holy kiss, honor people, respect people, love people, do everything in love, right? Don't get complacent. Don't get apathetic. Light a fire in your soul. If you need a fire lit in your soul, you either got to get in your knee, on your knees until God gives you one and stare at the face of the crucified Lord Jesus Christ until his love, his life sets you back on fire for his glory. 
Wherever you see people, seize the opportunity. Right? I mean, people create messes, don't we? I create messes, right? People hurt people because sinners do sinful things. And it's so easy to not want to be around certain people. It's so easy to want to choose your tribe, choose your three or four, and then have no more. But what you see is Paul writes this letter. And remember, he's been, he's been tough on the Corinthian church. But he ends with love and he ends with grace. Because people are opportunities to bless and to love, to honor and respect, to edify and to encourage. So whenever you see people, seize the opportunity. The kairos opportunity. People are not just, hey, they're in my way. People are the way and the opportunity for us to be the blessing to them. And then he closes and he says, hey, this greeting is in my own hand, Paul. So probably Paul dictated 1 Corinthians to a scribe or a secretary. And at the very ending, he says, hey, let me borrow the pen. And he concludes with, hey, here, I'm concluding this. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. That's the marker of salvation. I'm in love with Jesus because he first loved and he first died or he died for me. And then he says, our Lord, come. Come back, Jesus. That was what the last, that was what last week was about, part 23, the second coming of Christ. Paul believed he could come at any time, and he lived expecting Jesus to come any time. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Now, here, here's the value of this phrase, okay? You ever been away, you ever like been at home or been at work and your boss went away or your, or your spouse went away or your mom or dad went away? And you knew, you know, when they were away, you know, you kind of play a little bit. You're a little less vigilant. You're a little, you know, the workplace is a little lighter because the boss is away, right? But when you know they're coming back, everybody starts to get up on their toes, right? And, everybody, and the things they wanted you to get done, you get more urgent about getting them done and more intentional about your time because, hey, mom's about to come home. The wife's about to come home. I mean, I know when Beth is gone for a few days, the house kind of deteriorates. But when she's about to come back, Matt kicks it in gear, right? Because, hey, she's coming back. If we believe Jesus is coming back, what would we want him to find us doing when he returns? Being the will of God wherever we are with whomever we're with. As we prepare for a special time of prayer and obedience and taking next steps, I want to just ask you to do something. And we've talked about our day and Paul's day and the power of the, power of the pattern. Where are you saying someday that you need to start saying now, today? And seizing the opportunity. Seizing the opportunity. I'm going to give you a couple of options. And then our CPs are going to come up and lead us in a special time of prayer and taking some next steps. First opportunity is, look, listen, I get it. I'm, I'm with you. Some of us, man, we hear messages like this. It's easy to get to regret. God doesn't want anybody to live in regret. So just choose repentance. Say, hey, there's some things I need to begin doing today, and I've been saying someday. I, I, I've let my life be more about interruptions that bother me rather than opportunities all around me, opportunities for the kingdom. Jesus, let me move back. And imitate Paul. So choose repentance over regret. 
Second opportunity is let's take our generosity to another level. This whole chapter began with a church making an offering to help meet a need. Okay, so let's talk about giving and being generous. I, I think there's roughly about four levels of generosity. There's occasional. Hey, I occasionally give. I, I occasionally, you know, give a little bit of extra money or I text something in or drop something in the offering plate or give. There's regular and consistent, which is what Paul encourages, right, on the first day of every week. Okay, or as you get paid, when you come to worship, be consistent, be in a rhythm. There's percentage giving. I'm going to give 10%, or I'm going to give 12%. I'm going to give consistently, but I'm also going to give as a percentage. And then there's sacrificial giving. That's where, you know, I'm going to give above and beyond. I'm going to give past my level of comfort in faith that you can never outgive God. There is a huge opportunity in the realm of finances to represent Jesus and to advance his kingdom. Because he has ordained that the way his kingdom will advance monetarily is through the generosity of his people. So all I want to ask you to do, Rockbridge, is would you just put your eyes on one of these four lines? You'd say, hey, Matt, I'm an occasional giver. You know, that could be once a year, uh, you know, once every now and then. You could say, Matt, I'm a regular, consistent giver. I just give, you know, I just give pretty faithfully once a quarter, once a month, once a week. Okay, great. Some of you might say, hey, I'm a percentage giver. I'm giving, you know, about three, four, five, six, maybe 10%. Great. Or I'm sacrificial. So here's what I want to do. If you're occasional, regular, and consistent, or percentage, what would it like, look like just to move a little bit in this direction? Move, move a little bit. So if I'm occasional, what would it look like to move to regular and consistent? And if you're saying someday, what about today? If you're regular and consistent, what about moving to a percentage? If you're a percentage, what about being open to the sacrificial? Let the Lord lead you. But you're never more like God when you give, and you can never outgive God. I want you to know how some of the money that you do give to Rockbridge is going to missions. We give a ton to our local communities. We, just even what we do to make disciples and serve the people that come to our church, we do it through counseling and, and how we support people spiritually. Uh, all, all of these attributes, making worship happen, all of that's hugely important. But we started supporting an unreached people group, meaning there's really no church or gospel presence in this region, Uttar Pradesh, in the country of India. It's a massive group of people. No, I mean, like, you know, in the, in the South, you're like, there's a Bible, there's a, there's a church every two blocks. You, 200, 300 million people probably can't ever find a church. And we've been investing financially and in prayer. So to date, through your generosity, 799 leaders have been trained. They've started about 179. They call them story groups. We might call them house churches or small groups or Bible study groups. Six, over 1,600 people are attending them. And 49 people have crossed the line and put their faith and trust in Jesus and gone public with baptism. This is in an area, no real church presence at all until Rockbridge said, today is the day for us to give to support the gospel in a country mile, hundreds, millions, thousands of miles away. Thank you for your faithfulness if you give to Rockbridge. Thank you for the collection you give each and every week. This is an example of opportunities, chronos moments for Kairos movement for kingdom seekers.
another opportunity that's in front of us is, hey, a lot of us, we need to just rethink some things. A lot of us spend a lot of time, we want to change what, what we're doing, who we're doing it with, or where we're doing it. And, God, and, and our focus on the will of God is changing this or clarifying the what, the who, and the where. What if all we needed to do was change how we go about doing our what with the who where God has placed us? You know, I'm not going to change, Matt, you know what, I realize I don't need to be changing my job. I don't need to be, like, looking for another house. I just need to change how I go about representing Jesus at my job or in my neighborhood or with my kids in their, you know, fourth period class or at the ball field. So much of our effort is, God, just give me another what, give me a different who, give me a new where. What if we just changed how? God, help me be the will of God where I am with whom I'm around. Help me be the will of God where I am and with whom I'm around. And finally, you know, we've got Easter coming up. And I, I have been so encouraged talking to some folks on our prayer teams, being at different campuses. There is a real spiritual hunger. I think going on in, our, in, our, in the world and certainly in America, and I, I really believe certainly in and around Rockbridge and our six cities. And so as Easter's coming up, I want you to think about that open door Paul had for him at Ephesus. He said, I'm going to stay here through Pentecost because there's an open door for me. But I believe there's an open door for us to pray and to seek an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, to share Christ with someone, or share an invitation with someone to join you for one of our umpteen Easter services. So when you came in, you, you got a, a card like this that says, I am praying that blank, big white box, would come to Easter at Rockbridge and connect to life in Christ. I want you to think, who's your one person? Who's the one person that you want that open door for? And you're courageous and you're willing to go through it. Being the will of God to this person in this moment, that's a part of the movement of the kingdom of Jesus. I'll pray when I get to amen, the next voice you're here, you'll hear will be your campus pastor and venue pastors talking you through and praying with you that we would seize this moment, seize this opportunity to be the will of God in this time, in this place for his glory. God, thank you so much for your word to us today. May you find us faithful in the moment. God, may you find us alert and available to seize the opportunities that are all around us because you have sovereignly placed us where we are, around who we're around. So God, we can be the will of God in those places and to those people. Jesus, in the words of Paul, come Lord Jesus and find us faithful. In your name we pray, amen.